Um, I'll just do a little short intro, okay? Um, hi, everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch. I've been bringing through a series of webinars, uh, touching into a lot of different facets of uh, the equine world. Um, today, my guest is Dr. Rachel Bellini. She is also a Surefoot practitioner. I met Rachel in Colorado two, it'll be two years ago um, in June. Um, and she has taken the Surefoot uh, just famously. And so um, when I was at AAP in December, Rachel was there and she kept dragging all these veterinarians over to my booth. So she's very instrumental in, in um, getting us into the veterinary world. We had uh, just a tremendous time at AAP and uh, it was really fun to have Rachel with me. So thank you, Rachel, for joining me again for another webinar. <laughs> well, you're, you're welcome, and this is great. And yeah, that was, that was so fun trying to, you know, show these paths to the veterinarians, trying to show them to everybody. I mean, it's a, it's a great, it's, a, it's such, such a great product. It's so, sells itself so easily. Your sound's breaking uh, up a little I, bit, I Rachel. Love it. Not I, sure I why. Love it more and more. Okay. Uh, um, okay. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit of a of an unstable internet. I'm um, unstable internet connection. Is that coming through? Now you're or better. No. It it kind of comes and goes. I'll just like if it starts getting okay. bad, I'll just kind of do that. Yeah, or it says uh, this pretty windy out here, and I'm out. I'm out. Oh. And I, I guess the other side, I can always, I'm over in my, I'm in my farm office. Do you think it'll be better at the house? I can, I can always just take it over to the house real quick. The sound might be better over there. I don't have a lot of my props, but I don't. Okay, we'll just, we'll see how it goes. But um, like if I kind of okay. go like that, if you see me raise my hand, it's that the sound starts breaking up because we don't want to miss a word you say. Um, okay, all right, sounds good. So anyway, Wendy asked me to do a webinar. I really didn't know what I was gonna talk about because I'm kind of a sort of jack of all trades. I do a lot of sports medicine, a lot of chiropractic practice. And so she said, uh, talk about slants. And I was, um, Kind of like I don't really use the slants that much so I had her send me uh, hard ones because I had the soft ones and I set myself to work using the slants and really thinking a lot about them and I got really really excited and this was only kind of a, a week that that I had them so unfortunately a lot of my cases that you'll see are going to be my horse but that's been fun because he's sort of already got that foundation surefoot education. And so I could really use the slants very mindfully and um, make some changes. So I had a lot of fun. Okay. I'm gonna sort of get into my... Um, yep, so we have two other uh, webinars with you, right? We've done, this is our third? One, one other. Oh, one that's other. right, because one, one yeah. didn't get recorded, oh, right? we didn't record. <laughs> That was sort of our test run. We were just getting the hang of it. Yeah. So um, if you're interested in watching Rachel's other webinar, you can find it. I think it's on the Murdoch Method YouTube channel, and I'll try to get it over onto Surefoot. But. Yeah, I think so. I think so. All right, so I'm going to whip into a little bit of a presentation, and then we'll uh, hopefully the connection will work, and I can do, you know, so a little bit of, uh, you know, show you some of my... 
some of my things and I to help you understand better what I'm what I'm talking about. So I just go to share at the bottom here and that yep, go to share screen. Goes to here. All right. I mean, if anybody has any questions during the webinar, just please put them in the chat because it's easier for me to just monitor one place as opposed to trying to do Q&A and chat. Okay, so Surefoot Paths in clinical and personal practice. Um, I just want um, to sort of say that, you know, some of this stuff may be over, um, you know, your, your understanding a little bit. Um, it's kind of trying to hit a broad, uh, broad base of people. And, um, but there'll be lots of stuff that I think everybody will enjoy and hopefully get, get, some, get something out of and, and make, their, make their practice more fun. Um, now it's supposed to go to the next slide and it's, uh, it's always happens. So. There you go, it says. All right, so this is um, just sort of the, my aid, you know, my attention deficit disorder presentation of all the sort of things that I've kind of done in, in my life and uh, the take home messages that I've worked in a lot of different states. I've worked with a lot of outstanding veterinarians. I've had wonderful mentors. I've done a lot of um, integrated um, education. I've done a lot of advanced chiropractic education. Um, I am interested in everything and so I keep going to school and I keep learning and it's it's a lot of fun I uh, get to enjoy my practice a great a great deal that way um, I just want to start off by saying thank you this slide was this picture was up on the fans of Sherpa website this act mayor is actually blind and I just thought this was the finest photo of her standing in the middle of a field on her surefoot pads obviously releasing and enjoying life and I would look at this picture and I just think, wow, what, what, is she, what is she feeling? And you know that it's great. And so thank you, Wendy. Thank you for bringing the pads to us and to the horses and for doing these webinars and, and so on. It's, it's really wonderful. I really appreciate it. <laughs> so um, when I do, I've been doing sports medicine for almost 30 years. And um, I sort of discovered that the real trick is, is is getting these horses sound over time. We can get them ready for a race, we can get them ready for a show, but to keep them sound over time so they can make every dance that they want really has become my, my goal when I'm working with horses. I, I don't like to put out fires, I like to prevent problems from happening. When I start to work with a horse, um, I, I use a, a chapter from Stephen Covey's book, uh, the seven habits of highly effective people and I begin with the end in mind. I, I know I know what I'm what I'm trying to do when I when I get to these horses, where I want them to be, what I wanted to see, how I want things to change, how I want them to evolve. And that's something that you sort of evolve into, but I think I'm hoping maybe some of what I'll tell you today will give you a better understanding of that. I think a lot of time body work is not particularly mindful and we're sort of changing things, but we're not really paying attention to where, where are we going? What are, what are we doing? Um, we want to make sure that in what we're doing. And I've discovered that you can't, there's a lot of things about horses you can't change. And there's a lot of things about their, 
domestic lives and, and, and training that you can't change. And so the only thing that we can really do is we've got to help the horses help themselves. And we've got to build resiliency into their system. We, we may not be able to change their rider or their turnout or so many things. And so we need to make them stronger so they can, they can stand, their, stand their job. And so these are sort of the three, three things that I think are sort of important to, to keep in mind. And, and that's, that's kind of the plan. Um, integrity in myofascial meridians. Um, this book, Anatomy Trains, was first published in 2001 by Thomas Myers, and it's kind of a body worker Bible for anybody who's interested in fascia, and it describes 10 different fascial lines that go through the body that basically, if you remove the bones and the soft tissue, these lines will still have integrity. And so um, it, it shows how in the muscles and the fascia are connected to each other in the different ways of connecting. In 2001, we believe that fascia was probably only playing a role in providing tension to our, to our bodies and um, not that it had sort of its own ability to contract when needed. And now we've, uh, there's, there's a fascial congress every year in Germany and there's been tons and tons of research and it's plays a huge role in the, in the conduction of, of nervous impulses. It's got its own contractile properties. It's, it's a very, very dynamic, uh, dynamic tissue. Rachel, did you know that, that he actually knew Dr. Feldenkrais, Tom Meyer? Uh, this is just demonstrating one of the pathways. This is called the spiral line. There was a, I mean, it was an Idarolf and, and Upledger and, and Feldenkrais and, and like all these, these people sort of all came out of the same, you know, little pot in a way and, and we're, yeah. we're all working together. So it's all very, um, you know, it's all, you know, and I think, I think it's starting to really come to the forefront, you know, more and more. You keep running into this everywhere you go these days, I, I find, if you're trying to at least improve improve your work yeah there's these common threads that keep showing up over and over in these oops we lost your sound rachel it'll come back we'll give her a sec we lost your video yeah i lost i didn't hear what you said you lost the video the, you know these common themes that keep showing up over and over and over again um and this is one of them, you know, the Feldenkrais work is another, uh, the, um, func the structural integration, Idarolf is another. It's really fascinating, actually. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's really fascinating when it's applied to animals. Yeah. So th this was actually a uh, picture from a talk given at the 2014 IBIS Congress, um, and this talk was can myofascial kinetic lines be an anatomical foundation for acupuncture meridians? So now again, these fascial lines and acupuncture meridians are sort of, you know, also abutting each other. And so again, we're starting to see how some of maybe the, uh, the acupuncture also. In this book, uh, Mary Wanless sort of talks again about the lines in the horses and in the people and, and integrating them together in riding. And it's a, it's a great, 
it's a it's a great book with a with a lot of really um, good things to think about. Have you seen this, Wendy? Sure I have, have not. Oh, okay, yeah, this is very 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 cool. Um, so this these were some pictures of dogs done by um, a doctor in Nova Scotia at the ABCDA conference in 2017. Um, Dr. Dis also spoke about treating. He's a chiropractor veterinarian. Also spoke about treating it. So again, we're sort of all you know. Every everywhere we're turning, we're running into these connections um, within the body. These the, maintaining the structure of our bones and how they're. Um, they have uh, lines and, and planes, and they connect to each other. And it's a it's a very good way to uh, access the body. Really, things as you can see, you can access this from these. Um, she had about eight other drawings, and I I noted that a lot of the a lot of these pathways pass over the hip and over the jaw. And so I have what I call the dogs, my signature move where I lie the put one hand on the sort of point of the hip and one hand on the jaw, the TMJ, and just kind of work the fascia real gently and, and sometimes these dogs will you know, let's go and and uh and quite quite entertaining so anyway you can so somebody's can asking if the fascia lines and meridial uh meridian lines are the same so there you know that's a that's definitely a point of of you know discussion and research and i think there's a lot of overlap there and there's there's no doubt that the Chinese were treating the fascia and its connections probably in a lot of their in a lot of their therapies. I mean, that's probably a lot of ways that they were able to access so many different parts of the body, you know, from one from one needle point, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, and I think that uh, you know they've there. That's something that's been they've been doing the dissections and studying, and and I do think it's. It's in the, in the future, we'll, we'll hear more about that. So tensegrity um, is a term that was coined by Buckmaster Fuller. He was an engineer, I think architect, and basically what he talked about were structures that were maintained in space by continuous tension and discontinuous compression. And what that means is that some elements are under continuous tension and these compression elements are not being compressed all the time. So an example of continuous compression would be just a building, you know, bricks stocked, stacked on top of each other, those are being continually compressed. And this is a model that you can actually apply to the body, especially if you're a body worker um, and the bones being compression elements and the soft tissue being tension elements. And you can see that there's sort of obviously a delicate balance there to maintain the structure and gravity. And so the compression elements are always going to be pushing out and the tension elements are always going to be pushing in. And by that way, we have um, this structure that, you know, this is sort of an example um, that <clears throat> is able to maintain it despite the forces of gravity. And when forces are applied onto these structure, um, 
able to form in a manner that isn't always necessarily related to where the forces come. Like, you know, the force may come in one place, but it actually the deformation may occur on the other side. And so a human skeleton is a little bit, you know, appears a little bit like a building and like we're sort of stacked on top of each other, but actually all those bones are held together by tension elements. And if you obviously remove the soft tissue, you just have a pile of bones on the floor. So, um, so we need that. And so when, when you change any of the tension, you know, if I pull on these strings, these tension elements here, it's going to move these compression elements. And that's a really important piece of information because that way we know that every time there's a tight muscle or a tight tendon or something gets tight, it's gonna move a bone somewhere down the chain because it's connected to one somewhere along the line. And that's where um, you can really start to have a lot of changes in your body, but it's still functioning quite well. And, um, and we slowly sort of lose our, lose our um, balance and our, our structure. Um, this was a treat I'm gonna stop sharing for a minute and I wanna talk a little bit about um, just, I have here, this is the tensegrity icosahedron. And you know, it's just sort of important to notice that when it, when it deforms, when it forces are applied, you, you have, you know, the whole structure is deformed. And so <coughs> any one part of this being pulled on is going to affect any, any other part of, of this structure. And what we want it to be is balanced. I kind of came in a box and it was a little mush and I was trying to, trying to get it really, really aligned and square and, and, and get every, pull every element and I was having a little bit of trouble. But anyway, we want it to be, we want it to be perfect. We want it to look perfect from the outside. So then we're just gonna talk a little bit about the job that the body has to do. So this is the atlas. And this is the first cervical vertebrae. My favorite bone looks like a. It's, a, know, like it's a horse's first cervical vertebrae, right? Yeah, the horse's first cervical vertebrae, yeah. Okay. And, ours is a different and, shape. Yes, ours is a little bit different, it's true. Um, but anyway, I, I think this is a fabulous bone. But it has to attach, and this is from the same horse, okay? So look at the size of this head. I mean, I, I, I can, this, this head How is- How big was this horse? I don't know. I ordered I ordered the the head and the and the vertebrae. And so anyway, it, it's huge. And and this this goes Yeah, this is going to go like this. But drop it down okay. a little. <laughs> yeah, like there that, right? So so okay. Now how is this going to stay onto this bone? And how I mean how how are are these structures going to actually stay in space. I mean, it's the most incredible thing you've ever even thought about when you actually really think about that, that this. That's, that's a huge horse. That has to be like a draft horse. Probably. But anyway, like, like this, <laughs> this head has to balance on this. And, and, then, and then the next thing is, is this, okay? And so this, this, little, this little thing 
this this little little pointy look at look at how skinny that's C2 yeah I love C2 <laughs> you know it's gonna go in here like that but these things aren't really gonna touch they're just gonna be like that so I think you got how, C2 upside down oops yeah sorry oh <laughs> thank you, Wendy um anyway. <laughs> just pull it back a little bit I went to chiropractic school I promise yeah. um anyway <laughs> So, so anyway, but when you think about this, that, that in between these bones is, is soft tissue. It's, it's tendon, it's ligaments, it's, it's muscles, it's a, it's a whole bunch of stuff. And, and in between these two bones is, is more, more of the same. And, and all these things have to maintain in, in, this, in this structure this way and this balance this way. And, and so it really isn't going to take much for something like that to happen. Right, a little or, twist or in that. The or, or we could talk about the one day full I saw the other day where it was basically like, like that. And, and the horse's head was kind of like, like that. So, well, and you know, what I, what I think of so often is, you know, we put a rope halter on that's going right well, behind the pole. Right, yeah, day one, you're done. Right, and they pull back, exactly. You're done. You, you, you move this, and, and, and you're done. I, I mean, I haven't met, I mean, they talk about intermandibular width as being something you can buy. I mean, it's something that's actually should be there normally. It's just that, you know, the, the, they pull back on the halter, and, and the body's like, oh, my God, my spinal cord is, like, right there, and, and my cerebellum and my brain, and, 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 and everything just contracts. And sometimes maybe it contracts a little harder on one side, so maybe you get a little rotation, and then you get a little rotation here, and, and it goes on down. So, okay, so we've got it. We've just got a, somebody asking, like, um, you know, a lot of people think chiropractic is cracking bones, but but you aren't cracking bones. What are you doing in a chiropractic adjustment? So, so what I, what I am doing? Um, so so what 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 I? Oops. I am. Basically, the, the, the goal to here. And, and Wait, you way, broke up a little bit, so just repeat that. So, so the goal here is that this is turned a little bit, which takes very little imagination to believe that something like this could happen, especially in a fold when everything is soft and they put a wall halter on, they, they do that, and, and the body's like, okay, and everything tightens up down here, so maybe it just tightens up a little bit out of alignment. So the goal of the chiropractic adjustment is to, is to put this back into, into space, basically. And so when you do, you know, you may do a high velocity, um, you know, adjustment right here and sort of knock this bone kind of back into place. And I can't do that. I, I don't do that because I haven't found that to be effective over time. So maybe your animal will feel good for a short period of time, but I don't find that these kind of adjustments hold as well. As we already discussed, is that if this goes a little bit like this, then this is gonna go a little bit like this, and the next one's gonna go a little bit like this, and the next one's go a little bit like this, and those fascial meridians that I talked to you about that all connect up here at the TMJ, are also going to all be affected by this, and so every you know those four fascial meridians that have come through and have had to 
you know, bump over this little rotate, you know, this little rotation here are now a little bit shorter as well. So, you know, the left hind foot isn't, isn't great either. So when I am approaching, you know, a horse to adjust it chiropractically, I have the same goal in mind. I want the bone to be here, but I just may start at the left hind foot working on releasing the soft tissue first. And then I come over and say, hey buddy, I got a little bit of slack in the system. Would you mind just coming down here? And those kind of changes, because you're working with the, the, the rest of the body will hold. If you just move this and you don't move everything else, then you're just gonna wind, it's, it, everything's just gonna, you know, eventually, it, unless you do, you know, a lot of other changes in your program, those kind will not hold as, as, as well. This as reminds me a lot you know, sort of um, working the system. Many, many years ago when I, I worked at Dartmouth uh, Med and I used to wait tables and I used to carry pitchers of beer, glass pitchers of beer and mugs and put them over tables and I, my back, I hurt my back and I went to a chiropractor and he would do a high velocity adjustment, right? And it would last until I got outside his door. And then I would be right back in the same pain that I was beforehand yeah. because he was only simply trying to force the bones back into place, but he wasn't right. addressing the whole system to allow my body to be able to go back into place and everything else was all constricted. Um, and it wasn't until I found Feldenkrais, which is basically doing the same thing of addressing the whole body, um, that any of those changes really held. Right. A, a, a sub, you know, a bone out of place or a subluxation is a symptom more, more, more than it is a, you know, a problem. I mean, and, and so, you know, the way that this is my, this is my mini horse spine. It's pretty much the greatest thing I've ever owned. Look it's, at that. It is. So, so anyway, I mean, the way that the the way that I see, you know, things, and this was sort of a, a concept that was introduced to me by my buddy, Dr. Mike Buscall in Chicago. He's a DC who does animals in many, many years. Is that, you know, you, you, get, a, you get a rotation of, of the spinal cord. Things rotate, you know, this, this goes this way. Wait, I gotta, I'm gonna spotlight you again. A bunch of these sort of to go this way and then you sort of get a kink here you're a little bit frozen right now and things start to you're rather frozen yeah i hope i have a good expression when i'm frozen yeah I'm frozen. All right. there you go <laughs> so, so just do that again with this right. froze yeah so so anyway you know if, if this first bone just rotates a little bit this one's gonna go this one's gonna go this one's gonna go and eventually like like C, C5 is going to be like, wow, it's going to really sort of bump out. So you kind of come along, you're like, wow, there's a big subluxation here at C5. And you, you put that back in, but this is still all kinked up. So, it, you know, it has no place to go. So you put this back in and then, you know, something else just sort of pops out. You know, maybe C2 is going to then pop out on the other side over here. And so it, it just... You know, it's all, it's all connected. And so, you, you know, you can't ever affect one bone in this chain without affecting all the other, all the other bones. And so, 
that's where the soft tissue work becomes so important. And that's where understanding that a lot of, you know, aren't, you know, they're not just getting closer together, but they're also rotating. And that's where the slants are really cool. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, that's that. Uh, I'm gonna go back. I think. Yeah, you're slow. You've slowed down. You've gone into slow mo mode. A little question. I think is it preferable. Oh, good, good. I've got a slow mode. Yeah, Am I okay yeah. Now there, you're speeding up again. Yep. Um. So you know, I think I think with body work and and Cairo, there's a question about body work and Cairo. I think that um, I, I think it's great to do it after you know and and before. I mean, a lot of times I'll have my body workers. Um, when I travel out of town, they may see my horses like a week before I get there to kind of help me sort of get them softened up and stuff. So, but I also think that after you've adjusted a horse and you've changed the soft tissue, it's good, good to do it then too. Lots of, lots of body work all the time or short foot pads. You can do those as well. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna share. Okay. Here we go. Uh, Go. See, I told my daughter this always does this to me. Uh, you just have to pick which screen you want to share. I gotcha. All right, here we go. All right. Oh, back there. to the tree. Yep. Back to the tree. That's actually my tree, by the way. It's I beautiful. In, in Texas, isn't it beautiful? It That's is. I, it's my, my, my dream tree. Um, so, all right, so horses, um, they, they, do, they do deform in predictable patterns and um, the primary goal when um, the spine starts to rotate or compress or change or do everything is to, or when the vertebrae, I guess, not the spine, is to protect the spine and to protect the brain. And so, you know, the, the body is going to turn and tighten and contract around the spine and central nervous system at all costs to protect it. And so um, that, that can, that is actually done in relatively predictable patterns that you can um, see by seeing the way the horse's feet grow and how they stand in their posture. Um, this was something that um, my friend, Dr. Busco and I presented um, at the AVCA in 2010. Our talk was the clinical applications of tensegrity beyond the motor unit. And it was widely received by all of nine people. Oh. Um, I'm sure you all remember that, that awesome talk. But anyway, it talked a lot about just how, you know, how these four horses, how they actually, their bodies actually do deform in, in, in patterns, in, in quite predictable patterns. And so, you know, if you have an atlas, it's rotating this way, then all the way down the spinal cord, you can kind of predict where the rest of the bones are gonna go, where the feet are gonna go, where the legs are gonna go, and, and so on. And this again, I think is food for thought with the surefoot pads, because if you can kind of recognize the patterns, then you can be even more mindful about where we put the pads. 
So I talked at the beginning about soundness over time. So this means balancing the soft tissue tension that is chronic or secondary to an event or chronically secondarily to whatever. Um, most horses do not have balance in their soft tissue, um, regardless of whether they're just horses that have been injured, horses that are rehabilitating, horses that are in work. Oops. Horses born um, will have uh, what are we even trying to do so what does a lack of soft tissue balance look like and what does it look like when it's balanced we don't we have to know what we're what we're looking for and then resilience so we're going to improve resilience by restoring tensegrity to the system and that is we're going to restore balance and balance between the tension and compression elements to create stability. So that's how we're gonna do the resilience. So we know what we want to achieve, soundness over time. We're gonna do it by recognizing um, when a unit or a animal does not have tensegrity in its body, we're gonna recognize when it does. And we're going to have our animals stay sounder and perform better longer because they're gonna have more resilience with their highly tensegratus bodies. So this is just a few pictures here of some before and after sessions. Um, these horses were um, adjusted, they had sure foot pads. And um, this first horse, he doesn't look especially tense. He, he's a warm blood, um, but you can see that his posture, he's got some bracing against the ground. Um, you know, he's definitely much more, um, you know, he, he looks, he looks like his compression elements are pushing out. He looks more like a plush toy here, uh, softer, more supple and more, more pliable. Here um, is a, a pretty tense looking um, guy. Um, you can see the sort of wrinkles kind of all through his skin, just tension, tension through here. Um, you can see his sacrum kind of sticking up through here tight all through here. He looks looks like, you know, his fascia is on, you know, wound pretty tight. He's not, not super supple. And um, here again, he's still, you know, we've got some work to go, but he's still, he's got, you know, a much more smoother sort of tying into his shoulder here, um, smoother, smoother here. So this is, this is kind of what we're, what we're looking for, you know, a system that has tension in it, is going to look different than a system that doesn't. So, so just to, to hold you up for a second, go back to that slide for a second. Are we just looking at the horse before and after the treatment in real, in that just one time? Yeah, yeah. So this is like an hour apart or 90 minutes apart. Wow. Okay. That's, that's huge then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's beginning with the end in mind because I like my horses to stand square and I like their backs to be lifted and their necks to be integrated. And so this is just working with the fascial bag. You know, this is almost like, oh, you know, like my, my shirt's on, you know, like too tight. And so I'm like this. And, and then I just, you know, straighten the shirt. It's kind of like straightening a blanket, only the blanket's made of fascia, right? Yeah. So, well, yeah, and yeah, the, the base eyes too, that's also. Yeah, yeah, you can see he's he's a little he's a little anxious here, <laughs> and he loved the pads. He 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 loved them. He was all 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 over them. 
Well, his coat color even looks different. Like the, it, he's got more sheen to his coat. It looks like it's laying down more. Yep, it's it's it's. I mean, it's it's really because the the fascia, you know, when when the body becomes unstable, the fascia just just tightens down. So it pretty much suffocates the muscles and, and the tissue and everything. And so you know, everything is just kind of tacked down, and it's not it's not you know expanding and contracting. The body is in like fear mode because it's afraid that the spinal cord is going to be damaged and so you know it's just come in and gotten very very tense and so yeah you will see the the hair coat change the lay down dogs will have like sometimes our hair is like all messy where all the subluxations are it's really it's it's, it's really interesting you can you can just see you know so, so much when you know when you know what to look for when you know right. that right this, this you know isn't normal this isn't normal, but you don't know that this isn't normal until you see, wow, that horse can be like that. Hmm. Maybe, you know, it's not so straight behind. Who knows? Yeah. Lots of, lots of, lots of questions. This, this little mare, um, when I, I pulled her out, I was like, wow, she looks pretty good. You know, top line's pretty good. And then I worked on her and I was like, wow, she looks really good now. And so I just love the way you can see, again, the fascial bag, so tension, here tension here tension the, this leg uh, is in the kickstand um um art you know where where they kind of have it like this like all it's like a kickstand and so what i what i really started to think about is that you know we're always trying to turn into continuous compression you know the horses will bring their legs underneath them to where they lose that you know that when you're when we're not stable we want to go into continuous compression and so they lose that tensegrity they lose that suppleness and they replace it for continuous compression which is not compatible with staying sound obviously are we frozen are we good nope we're good let's go all right yeah all right so um i just keep moving around so it doesn't block the screen that's all Gotcha. Okay. Surefoot, surefoot pads. So you can use the pads to gent. So, so fascia, when you're working with fascia and you, it, 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 it's different, different things. Sometimes fascia likes to be gently pulled. Sometimes fascia likes actually the tension taking out of it. Same thing with a muscle. The first thing I learned in chiropractic school was something they called muscle spindle cell technique, where you just sort of oppose the muscle fibers and that was the pretty much the only thing that i could do when i got out of school that i felt competent doing and so i just did that and i just found tight muscles and i just opposed the fibers and it you know it actually helped because it actually relaxed the muscles and probably lots of other things so so anyway um you, there there aren't any hard and fast rules about how to how to help these horses um and what to do uh they the the problem my biggest rule is just to listen. So what's your biggest rule? You froze again. Uh -oh. Gently into an out stretch. And this will uh, make changes in the soft tissue tension that will then increase the balance and stability of the whole organism. And so we can use the pads to kind of gently change the fascia in very incremental amounts. And that way you can watch as the 
whole horse will change as you change as you as you work with this. So they can be used in a variety of ways to decrease tension in the body. Standing on any of the pads will set in the cycle of relaxation and motion. So not just the slants, but really any of the pads will allow horses to explore both stretch of the soft tissue and also, you know, relaxing the soft tissue. So when they're, you know, doing this on a pad, obviously they're stretching one side, they're relaxing one side. They're able to explore different modalities. When you're doing a slant pad, you're not going to get in trouble with that because if the horse doesn't want to stretch there, he'll just move his foot. And we're not training horses to stand on pads. We're offering them pads, so that's okay. So use of slant pads allows very mindful and discrete applications of these principles to the body. And due to predictable patterns of deformation, we should be able to define some protocols based on the pattern. And this is where I, I haven't really made it this far yet, um, but I, I do believe that that's something that we can do in the future where I can say to you, well, if the horse has got a low heel on the left front, a high heel on the right front, then start you know, trying to relieve the pattern this way. But, but like I said, it, it's, it's, it, it's, it's, it's fun to experiment and, and, and rules are just rules anyway and horses don't typically follow them. So, um, you know, this, isn't, this is probably less important. Um, so uh, poor Lou, here's Lou. Uh, he, uh, he's my guinea pig and he gets to stand on pads a lot. And um, so the first thing I thought about when I was thinking about the surefoot pads and after watching um, Felicis Haas's uh, webinar about all the slants and uh, you know the piling the pads, so I thought, well, this is this is an example of occipital technique in humans, and and a lot of the human chiropractic technique, they do a thing called blocking, where they actually will start out the session by putting. Uh, different parts of your body under blocks to actually take out some of the rotation um, imbalances, you know, sort of on that horizontal plane. And so I thought, well, you know, SOT in humans, uh, a lot of times they'll block uh, here to raise and lengthen out the lumbar spine. So I thought, well, let's let's do that. Let's see. How Lou liked, and he he stood like this for quite a while. He's he. Someone's asking what SOT is. Enjoy that. that. So that's um, it's sacral occipital sacral occipital technique. Okay. So the the sacrum and the occiput, um, and so a lot of a lot of uh, the human um chiropractic sort of, you know, I would say advanced techniques are kind of based on the fact that the dura matter, which is the sort of the saran wrap that, that is the closest layer to the spinal cord is attached at the sacrum, at the sacrum and the occiput. And so our, our actual spinal cord sort of has a finite membranous covering that can get can 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 have a lot of a lot of tension again if you start to have a lot of axial rotation of your spinal cord you're going to put a lot of tension on those inner membranous layers so um sacral occipital technique cranial sacral technique um meningeal release a lot of that stuff all sort of addresses those very 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 deep 
deep layers, which are, are also connected to the fascia as well. And um, I actually work with a girl who um, is fabulous at that, that we work together and I've got pictures of that uh, down, down the road. So uh, here he is. So then I, then I thought, well, you know, I always, I, I think, all right, so where is the tension? Now, a lot of horses that I see will grow a little more blocky heel on the inside of their foot and they tend to compress the inside, uh, the medial hock joints. And so a lot of times when you start to fuse the hocks or kind of, kind of fuse here, the change easier. So we do actually get a lot of continuous compression in the hock. The hock is a lot like a, a building. And uh, that's a, a, a probably why we have to treat it so much because it, it's a sort of a default continuous compression area. And um, so I thought, well, maybe I'll try stretching out the inside of the hock, make it longer. In other words, I'll make the outside of the leg shorter. So I lined up the, the pads. I think I have them on the green ones here. And then I put the pink ones on top and I put them slanting towards the inside to see if it made that footer and the inside longer, I would maybe be stretching, you know, the, sort of all the stuff, you know, or, or, or talking to it, you know, not so much stretching because it's a very, I mean, it's, it's not much increment here when they're, when they're uh, standing on it, but that doesn't need much either. Very, the fascia um, it can be talked to very, very gently and, and you get a, get a lot out of it. And so um, just sort of a very gentle, um, sort of tension, reminder, wake up, hey, what about these things? And a lot of times when you take and you put it, you know, you put it into a little bit of a, of a stretch, it'll, it'll return and come back with a little bit of release. And so um, I, I stood him on that for a while and I got up on my bail and I, I looked at his back a little bit and that was kind of fun. So, um, so again, just sort of working, working with the different balances um, and, and kind of playing around. I don't really have any results but as i say here you know you can use the slants to address tension gives you the option of mindfully increasing or decreasing the stretch on the soft tissue and so here you know if i put them the other way then that will be doing something different so try both let the horse decide uh, basically is kind of my my thoughts on this um you know i don't i don't really know what is going to sort of help his fascial bag the most. I don't really know where all the little hangups are. Some of them may be very deep. And so when you start to, you know, allow the horse to explore the stretch and the changes in this soft tissue, you never know what, what kind of changes, changes you'll get. Um, so this little guy, this was sort of funny. Um, I thought, well, He's kind of compressed. He's a, a Western horse. And so, uh, and, uh, and then I kind of got up on, on my bail and I actually did some sort of myofascial sort of stretching, um, you know, neural, dural tube, you know, just kind of giving that, that whole backside of his body, you know, sort of that information, that soft tissue to kind of lengthen out. And then I thought, well, you know, where is all that going to go? I mean, once he sort of lengthens out, they have to kind of go somewhere. So then I put him on the green.
green pads in front for a little bit. I, I have found that, that no matter what I do with these pink slants behind, they stand square when I'm done. Whether I put them this way or that way or the other way, when I, when I take them away, they really stand square. So that's pretty cool too. I, I, I like that. So anyway, this, this was sort of, this was sort of, this guy was sort of cute. When I got done, you go longer he is. So wow. you can see that, that this has a, a, a sort of a softer angle, a steeper angle, and a little sort of softer, softer through here. So anyway, we, we kind of, you know, we, we did, we did get some, you know, length to his, to his back here and, and, and that kind of stuff. So that was, that was sort of fun. Diagonal loading panners, that was something that Felicitas mentioned that she's seen a lot. Um, you know, absolutely. I mean, these horses, they, they, it, and again, and that goes back to that rotation when, you know, if you're, if you're, head is like that then something's going to be like this and something's going to be like that and your shoulder girdle and your pelvis a lot of times are actually going to kind of rotate in different ways so you may have your shoulder girdle going this way and you'll have your pelvis kind of going the other way and so that's another thing that I really um, you know haven't had a chance to get any sort of data back on but i but i know that i know there's something there i know that sort of like the blocking um in the sacral occipital technique a lot of times they'll do blocking diagonally they'll put a block under shoulder block under the pelvis um to start so i've always thought about that with the sure foot pads and you can sort of do that in a global way with the square pads you know working kind of the limbs and then you can kind of bring that down into sort of a more uh, micro manner using a using the slant pads sort of very mindfully to sort of release the different tension uh, around the edges so again this is um, you know and these lines these spiral lines will will know you know we know that we have connections from the you know the right rear to the left front and and so on we know that we have these sling fascial systems and so again you can kind of hit the line from both ends by using the diagonal pairs. And so in this picture, you can see that I'm shortening the fascia on the outside of this leg and on the outside of that leg, and maybe those are kind of both coming over and meeting. And so I'm sort of putting that line into a little bit of a release and I'm putting, you know, the other line, I'm letting him explore. I'm not asking it to do one or the other. I'm giving the opportunity to kind of find where he wants to go there. And I think that's, in, you know, I like to do that too. I like to sort of put maybe a mindful stretch in and then give them the opportunity to explore on their own. Do they want to do that a little more? Do they want to go the other way? Um, and, and, and it's very, it's sort of very organic and intuitive and in, in the way that I, that I sort of go about it. It doesn't, um, it's, it's, it's fun that, that way. So um, we had a question. So that, uh, this was a little mare that I worked on the other day. You, you froze a bit again. Okay, go ahead. I didn't hear the question. Okay. So um, somebody asked, uh, speaking of hawks, would you, how would you use the pad to twist the hawks with each stride? But I'd like to answer that um, because we've had okay. sorts of, oh, I know of three specific cases. The horses were 29 years old with two of them. And 
um, the women started using the surefoot pads and over the course of two years, one horse wanted the pads frequently and the other horse wanted them infrequently. And we don't know when it happened, but she wound up riding behind these two 29 year olds and they had both stopped twisting their hocks. And the only thing she did different was surefoot pads. Yes. Um, what I would just say is I think what's happening, and maybe you can confirm this, that by using the surefoot pads, we're strengthening the little tiny muscles around the hip so that you stabilize the hip and you stop the twisting because the twisting is actually, in my opinion, a weakness in the hip structure that it's not holding so that the push from the hind foot's transmitted through to the head. And so by standing on the pads, they're strengthening all those muscles around the hip and the hock twisting stops. I hate hawk twisting. Yeah. Yeah, because you're dissipating force. You're not uh, getting the maximum push from the ground transmitted through the horse. But, you know, it's one of those things that um, people, you know, eat. a lot of people don't see it. And then a lot of people see it, but don't know what to do about it. And this is one of the things that I've known now for years, because this was a client who was with me from the beginning that she's worked with these two school horses at 29 and they stopped twisting their hocks. And we have other reports of that. Absolutely. No, I mean, I, I'm telling you, I mean, this is, you know, reason number 110 why I'm so passionate about these pads, because I have been watching horses twist their hocks for so many years, and, and, there, and there isn't anything, there, there is not a way to treat it. And people, it's not, it's, I, I know that it's not hawk arthritis. It causes hawk arthritis, but it is not created by hawk arthritis. It's created, like you say, from an instability and, and unable to bring the forces back. And so, um, and, and that is re resilience, right? That's resilience. If you, if you have to, if you can't, you know, if that force is going out in a twist, it's not going back through the body. It's not carrying you forward. Right. That, that right there all by itself is enough for me to like, not even want to buy a horse. But you know, when you say I'm not passing that horse on a pre-purchase because it twists his hawk, people think you're nuts. But for me, that's a big, you know, that leg is not stable. So you've got one hind leg out of two that are really important in sport horses that we know for a fact is not stable. Right. And, and we're probably going to ask this horse to maybe jump or, or run or, or do stuff. And so. And, and I don't um, know that there's, well, and like you say, I don't know that there's really any other way to get to those deep, deep, deep stabilizing muscles, but we've seen this now with Surefoot in a number of cases and, and so it is one of those things that it really, really helps with. It's, it's incredible. But I mean, just helping that alone is, is just the, you know, people don't realize how amazing that is because people don't realize what a tremendous problem it is when horses are doing that. They don't realize what it actually means to the horse's overall, you know, potential as an athlete. You know, you just cut that by 25%. And now, the reason somebody of said um, they see it mostly at the walk, and the reason you see it mostly at the walk is that the walk doesn't have any suspension. So in trot and canter, you're impulsing off the ground, you're using grounding action force. But in walk, it's the, the foot's on the ground for longer, and it has to push against the ground. And if the weakness is up in the hip, then the leg twists. And you, so, you know, something's going to give. Um, and if the hip is strong, then what's going to give is that the foot's going to transmit the force through the body and move the head forward. But if the hip is weak, then the leg is going to twist because the mass of the horse is greater than the strength of the leg. Right? And then the leg's going to hurt. Oh, like, yeah. You know? And so, yeah. I mean, pretty much every horse I look at has one hip 
that is not balanced with the muscles. I, I work on a lot of hips. I mean, I, I work on lots and lots and lots of hips. And I do think that the, you know, the, it may be possible with really mindful, good body work and good riding to strengthen that enough to stop, but it's way easier with surefoot pads. Yeah. Like, and, and, and a, just a, a much, much better way of doing it. And you have to be so, so aware of it. And when you're riding, you may not notice it. You may not feel it. Right. Right. The subtleties. Right. Um, somebody just asked me about what about locking stifles? So what about locking stifles and surefoot pads? So I haven't actually worked at all with um, horses with that condition, but um, I would I would be super curious to. Um, I do think that you know with with you'd want to do that definitely kind of supervised by someone that understands the biomechanics of the stifle and the pads because a lot of times those horses have a hard enough time you know getting their leg off the ground period and so you wouldn't want to sort of exacerbate that but I, I i do think that again that is a you know that that is a that's out of balance you know that's the muscles and the ligaments around that joint being out of out of balance and not able to keep that stifle where it needs to be in order to move. And so it goes into this, you know, the stay apparatus is, is too, too strong almost, and it doesn't allow it to relax and the leg to move. And so I think that, you know, that is a problem of how those muscles are worked, how the ligaments are worked, things, and you know, there's a lot of, probably a lot of different things that go into that, but I do think that it would be probably a lot of fun actually, you know, that would be a good, a, a good study to do to, to take a bunch of horses with those. Yeah, and see how it goes. Again, that's, that's one of those hard to treat problems, hard to treat problems. Instability is, is hard to treat. Yes, and, and um, we have people that have used Surefoot with horses that lock the stifles, but I don't have reports back. And again, I agree with you. I think that's one of the ones that would need to be under the supervision of an equine professional to be able to monitor and know, because I think what you could easily do is overdo it with the pads with those kind of horses that you'd have to have a very um, careful protocol and probably a much reduced amount of time on the pads. However, treating all the rest of the legs also might help a lot too. So, you know, that's something that you could do and, and not worry about is, is treat, treat the other legs too. And so again, sometimes, you know, you never know, you never know when you, when you, when you tap into this system, there's so many places that you can tap in and, and get results. And so times working the other legs may, you know, may allow a shift to happen as well. So I, I really, I really encourage that tremendously. I mean, I think that um, soundness is rarely about the injured legs. It's it's about it's about the other legs, and and so um, another another great great place for for the pads. I'm just answering somebody off offline. So, talk about okay. this slide. So, so so this this horse again. I was just kind of playing um, just different things. Uh, she her her right hind is is not her most um, useful leg. So again, I like. I, 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 I've, I've become very attached to using the pads this way in the hind leg kickstands. And I'm gonna show you um, a little later how I worked on my horse actually today. But this mare's got pretty blocky feet. You can see there's a lot of asymmetries in her, in her heel um, length and all that stuff. So I, I was just kind of messing around. I was putting her, you know, I sort of thought, well, let's, let's contract, you know, the inside, stretch the outside. 
of her legs and see if she likes that. And then I put her over on the purple to sort of, you know, again, explore a little bit. And so, you know, this is just, obviously there's a lot of stuff, you know, these are not perfect feet. And so to me, doing a, doing a little bit of, of experimenting around, you, you know from the look here that there's a fair bit of soft tissue tension. Um, you know, the feet are actually smaller than the kind of the cornet bands. And so I think, wow, you know, getting something around here released might, might feel good. So let's, let's offer it and, and, and see what she thinks. Um, this is kind of a, uh, interesting. The other day, a couple, just a couple days ago, um, I had my myofascial worker out, uh, Lauren Harmon, I call her a myofascial magician, magician. She's actually an animal, animal rolfer. And I, I, um, I, we were looking at this, the, my horse, and this is, you know, in real time. So this is one side and this is the other side. And granted he's dirty on this side, but I could almost make out and I did actually purchase these pictures from Yogi so I can use them. Um, this is all the, all the horses' um, fascial lines, but you could actually almost see on my horse the tension in this fascial line on this side, you know, oh, this yeah. yellow one, this yellow one here. And I'm like, wow, look at this. It's like this, and it comes up here and here, and like the hair, and it was all like, funky and I thought wow that's pretty cool and here he is holding he likes to hold his left hind like a kickstand he doesn't want to put this leg in the corner and it really irritates me and so this is just the other side of his body for comparison I mean you really can't make out these lines on this side of his body and so again this is you know so what it's so you know somehow the 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 tension on this line is obviously tighter and he's got this leg uh, pulled forward. And so, you know, just kind of looking at this horse, we can say, gosh, you know, the fascial tension on the left side of his body is more than the fascial tension on the right side of his body. And, you know, this horse has trouble with the right lead canner. He, he doesn't like to go at liberty to the left. So you know, he's got, he's got some stuff that we're, that I'm always trying to, trying to, to look at and, and make better and, and stuff. And so I, I, I really enjoy paying attention to all these little things because these are the things that make a difference when you get to high performance. My, my first boss on the racetrack, always like, he's like, Rachel, we're talking like, you know, seconds here. That's where we're trying to make the difference, you know, in seconds. And, and that's where we're trying to improve these athletes. And so we know that as long as there's all this tension on this side and not tension on this side, this horse is not reaching its full potential. So, so I've just got a couple of questions here I want to address. Um, um, okay. One is that uh, somebody's asking, I think you have a horse that frequently is the, uh, experiences a lock stifle. What about a horse that is recovering from a superficial bowed tendon? And I want to answer that one. Please go and watch Sherry Johnson's uh, webinar. Dr. Sherry Johnson is at CSU and she's doing a lot of rehab with horses. But whenever you're talking about things like uh, bow tendons and things, you need to be working with your vet because they need to be checking that it's safe for you to use the surefoot pads with that injured leg. Um, and she will not, and I'm sure Rachel will neither. Like this is not a place where we can write a protocol or give you a protocol on how to use surefoot pads with those kind of injuries. But it is important to go and work with all the other legs because they are taking more strain. So with your healthy legs, using the surefoot pads to keep the horse in balance, to you know keep the little tiny postural muscles working, that's a great way to use the surefoot pads when you have an injury like a, a soft tissue injury. 
Right, Rachel? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I thought Sherry's presentation was amazing. And I thought that the stuff she's doing is incredible. I, I loved especially the neurologic courses. Yeah. Um, I think the big difference between, you know, when you're doing rehab and you're working with other horses and that's your job, you know, and, and you've got to be a lot more scientific and a lot more, you know, kind of within protocol. And she has very, very, very sort of specific ways of doing things, which is, you know, what we, what we need to get really good data. Uh, I, on the other hand, can, can be more of a, a freewheeler out here. And so um, I, feel, I feel very safe using the pads on, you know, most horses that you can take their feet. Um, certainly, you know, again, like if I've got an injured leg, I would definitely consult with your veterinarian. But, but if you, you know, if you're, if you can pick up, you know, if you're able to pick up the, pick the feet and the other three, you know, the horse can stand on the injured leg long enough to, to have a pad put down. And I really, really, really would encourage people to, to use those uh, in the other legs because they are, that's the most important part really um, to, to get these horses better over time is you've got to, usually the leg that gets injured is the leg that has a lot of um, suppleness and tensegrity and they use it a lot. And then, you know, the other legs are not so great. And so those go faster. And, and so if you, if you can keep your, keep the other three legs uh, working better, then um, you'll have a lot more support for the hardest working leg, which is usually the leg that winds up with the, with the injury. Um, you know, just in that vein, you can see with this horse, his instability is on this leg here, his left eye, my horse. And so the other day we were working with the slants. This is a slant pad, it's a little bit dark. Um, and this is Lauren here, um, her, her, um, about the hand down by the foot. Yeah. 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 Well, she's, she's actually, she's, she's actually doing a release there. So she actually works a lot in the extracellular field. And so a lot of times she'll actually put her hand on the floor next to the foot to get the, the tissues to relax into it. And so it's actually quite amazing. You can actually see the, she'll actually put her hand right next to the foot and you can actually see the coronet band relax just from the energy. So she, she works a lot out, out in the field as well as on the horse. So we're and looking so at a professional doing a particular technique. Yes, yes, yes. She's a professional doing a particular technique. She's doing a myofascial release technique there. Although, like I said, she's, um, you know, she does, she does really amazing work. So we were trying to get him to be a little straighter on this leg. And what she was having me do was put the pad sort of facing the opposite front diagonal. And so here, first he rested his foot and then he put it down. He's putting it down pretty square. And this is kind of, you know, this, this leg is, 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 is one that is, is kind of the weak link in his system. And so I've been trying to um, really see how, you know, how much can I get the surefoot pads to help me with this leg, to help me get it so that it's in the right place, so it's balanced and so he's standing on it. And um, so, there she is again. So she's, she's working and he's standing on this and he's starting, you know, to kind of move his energy around sort of up to the front. And so that's just, you know, this again is just an example of using the pads in conjunction with body work. And we're sort of using this pad to kind of stabilize this hind so she can release this leg. And I actually had a really interesting experience with this diagonal 
today that got me all warm and fuzzy. Um, so, so then, so then I was playing the other day because I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen the sort of osteopathic hip flexor psoas dress, but stretch or release, I guess it's a release on a stretch. What they have you do is they have you pick up the hind leg and kind of bring it to midline and hold it. So it's really fun to do, as you might imagine, holding the horse's leg up underneath itself. Um, and, and to hold it until basically the muscle relaxes. And so you're putting the, you're putting those hip flexors, you know, by, by doing the hip flexion yourself, you're putting the hip flexors into a relaxed state, potentially maybe allowing them to relax. I, I don't know this for a fact, but it's something that I've, I've learned and been told and, and so whatever. So I thought, well, well, and then I also was very interested in Felicitas's, um, when she talked about stacking the pad so that the other leg could hang, I thought that was really interesting. And so I put two orange pads down, one for each foot so we'd have some support. And then I started piling up this leg because this leg he sort of overuses more and it's always, he's tight in the hip flexors up here. He's always a little bit tight to his back and, and this area. So I thought I put that up and he liked that. So then I put a yellow one on and then I put a, I thought, wow, this is like super cool because I can actually kind of pile it up under his foot so he could actually, he never did really bear any, you know, push down into the pad, but you know, that's a stable enough, like that's a nice angle if he wants to, like he could actually kind of, you know, push into that a little bit and bounce those hip flexors a bit, you know, if he, if he so desired. So anyway, well, and sometimes gonna... you'll actually see them drop the whole, with the toe resting, drop the whole hip down and you'll see it go all the way up through the low back. Right. That's, that's what I would love. I would love to see that. I would love. So, so again, this is just something, you know, that I, I, I you know, had, didn't have, didn't have a ton of time, but I thought, well, let's, let's play with this. And again, you know, Hey Mikey, he, he liked it, you know, <laughs> stood there for, for a long time like that. So, so it was good. Um, Oops, I, um, and again, and this this left hind it just really bothers me. I came in, I had a I had squares, and uh, he's got it in the, in the sort of all. Um, try to I was trying to put a pad so that I was sort of you know releasing maybe the outside. So I thought maybe I'll put a slat slant pad that way, and he he turned it a little bit, and um, and then he. And then uh, he ended up coming off it. And I thought, well, I'll give you, I'll give you, you know, I'll pile you up in front now. We, we got to go ride. I want you to feel better. So um, I gave him some pads in front. You can see he's still holding this leg in front of him here. Still not like back in the back in the corner. It's, and here he is, just loving loving life on on these pads before we before we went out. And and he was good, but he did he did he did stumble a few times on that leg. Um, so today I thought, darn it, I'm, I'm going to work some more on that stupid kickstand leg. And I, I thought I'm going to be really, I'm going to try and be really mindful about this. And I was thinking about some of Lauren's stuff. So I came in and again, he's holding it in front. It's not in the corner. It's a little bit ahead. So I started here with the, I actually had the pad a little more facing. And he turned it this way and he, and he stood on it like that. And then a moment later he brought it, he moved it back. And then I turned it like this, because then I started thinking about um, negative palmer angles, which he probably is probably why he always wants to put that 
that you know leg in front the hoof angle is probably either flat or maybe even a little bit high in the toe low in the heel which is called a negative palmar angle so i'm like well maybe you know maybe i can give him some relief from that or if he has a flat foot so i thought you know i'll i'll you know give him a, a stretch you know i'll put the if i give him a slant pad and the you know the hoof is like this that'll sort of flatten it out so he 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 did toe test and then he, how much pressure he is putting on that pad. And this is a leg that he doesn't really stand down on. It's usually in front. And then what was really interesting was he picked up the right hand and rested it. And then he actually moved. So, and, and this was all over maybe like five or six minutes. I was just kind of standing there with my camera watching just you know from from just giving this which again i i think you know he has a sort of a flat foot finally allowed that foot to sort of settle in space evenly you know so it lined it allowed him to line up the bony column in his hind leg and and the and the, the, the soft tissue just went bananas i mean he was just you could you could see you know the whole horse change and one thing about this horse is he, you know, his first answer to everything is no. And when I first got him, every time I picked up a leg, he'd slam it down. And he won't let me take, take his hind legs into extension. A lot of times he won't even let me pick up his hind legs. I mean, I'll go to pick him up and he'll just keep walking away from me. And so um, I, I can't even do a lot of things I would, I would like to do with him. And so then I started thinking about, Lauren and and what she had done the other day and I actually didn't get a picture of this but I put him on this kind of allowing you know I think you know that his he's pretty um he doesn't have much heel on that on that toe so on that foot so that kind of gave him a little bit but I was actually able to take this left hind all the way back and he was loading into that, that front like nothing I'd ever seen before and so one of the things that I've noticed with the pads, especially with this course and some You frozen a little bit. ...is that a lot of times when they won't let you pick up the hind legs, it's because they don't feel stable in front and they're, they're just not comfortable loading. Um, they're, they're, they don't want to pick their hind legs up and it's because they don't feel comfortable putting all their weight on the front to load into this leg. I really would encourage you to keep picking up their hind legs as they want in front. I would love to hear um, people's thoughts on that because uh, I, I really think there's a big, big, big connection. Big, oh yeah. Big connection. I um, the number of horses that I've worked with and over the years picking up the back feet, I really do think it has a lot to do with the stability in front. And at first they feel, you know, you'll go to pick up their foot and they'll give you this really tense leg and they'll kind of be tense and panicky. But once they realize you're going to put them on a pad and you're not actually trying to hold the foot, the whole back end changes. And I think then with the decrease in tension, they can stand there. Absolutely. And, and again, I mean, if, if, if your horse isn't comfortable standing on three legs, you know, on the cross ties, 
what does that translate to, you know, in, in performance? And, and so again, these are things that are really, really important to me to try to help these horses um, in, in this kind of environment, because like I said, if he doesn't, you know, if he's not comfortable standing on his front legs, then he's not going to be comfortable landing from jumps and, and doing all kinds of things. He's going to compensate and he's going to get injured. Um, so building resiliency into the system, that's what we're doing here. Uh, these two pictures were taken a year apart and uh, you can really see the change in this horse's front end and this horse's neck. And you can see that um, this is a much more resilient horse than this one because this horse has significant more ability to use his neck to balance his body than this horse does. And this, um, yes, this did take a year, but uh, look, look, look at the change. Yeah. And so, you know, you really, you really can build a lot of resilience. Did you lose me? Um, you're back. You okay. Uh, these videos I showed in my last webinar. Um, oh, where did they go? Oh, here they are. Um, and this just this is just the first time he was on. This isn't the slant. This is just the first time he was on the soft pads. And this is just kind of an example of how much resiliency you can build into a system in one week. So this was the first time he stood on the soft pads behind in this first video, and hopefully it will play. If not, what you can do is uh, send me the videos um, and transfer, and I can put it into the but if not, uh, okay. If not, if not, basically he's not moving. You know, he's he's standing there, and he's and he's not he's not really able to move. He's basically like. If I move, I'm going to fall off these pads. Is kind of is kind of what he's saying. So there, there he is. Now it's playing, and he's just, you know, he's just standing there. He's he's sort of, you know, he's thinking about what's going on. Um, even though the video is not playing very well, it does kind of. That's sort of what he was doing. He wasn't he wasn't moving. He wasn't moving a whole lot, and he wasn't really exploring his surroundings. And he wasn't um, secure. Later the following Friday, and I put him back on the pads and moving his, his front legs around, he's moving his neck around. Just one session on these hind pads, you know, gave him a, a significant, um, significant improvement in his balance and stability. And, and so, again, that's going to be a horse that's it's gonna gonna have better athletic potential. It's gonna stay stay sounder sounder longer. Um, so, surefoot practice. That's what I call it because uh, that's what it reminds me of. This is my this is one of my my yogis, Brian Kest. He he taught me everything I know about flexion after extension and integration and. Um, you know, nobody can do the work for me. I have to untie my own knots. I have to develop the strength to disempower my own habit patterns. Nobody can do this for me. And this is what the practice is all about. And that's, you know, what, what we need to do with these horses. We need to 
like I, you know, I was able to have all these great sessions with my horse because we've been practicing. We've been practicing for well over a year, almost two years with these, with these pads. And so, you know, this is part of his practice. When I come to the barn and I see a leg isn't in the corner, I'll put a few pads on it. Hey, this leg isn't in balance. This leg isn't stable. Let me throw a pad under it while I'm grooming him. Let me stand him up on some pads before I tack him up. Uh, yes, it does. It takes more time, but you get that time back later because you don't, you don't miss your, you don't miss your, your shows and your events and you don't have to warm your horse up as long and he develops better muscle and he gets stronger. And so, you know, you get that, you get that time back. I, I, I promise you. So, uh, you know, really. It's a. Uh, it's such a. It's. It's been so much for your time and your attention. And uh, I'm on. You know, I'm a regular stalker of the of the Surefoot pages. Um, so, <laughs> if you have any questions, feel free. Just share um, your screen, and we can we can have. Okay. Yep. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. Exit. There we go. Wow. No. It's all right. Been a little tough because you've been freezing and unfreezing, and um, yeah, I know. So we might next time, you know, try try in your house. But this was a fabulous presentation, Rachel, and I really have to thank you because you clearly have put a lot of time and thought into it, and just experimenting with the slant pads. Because I kind of give you this little assignment, and <laughs> I just really appreciate your approach and um, how how much you've embraced sort of the philosophy of Surefoot of giving the horse a voice and letting him have a choice and um, experimenting with him. And it's just been really, really fun to, to see how much better you are at making slideshows and doing Zoom too. It's really great. I know. Yeah. I, I can't even believe I'm doing a webinar. It's like, wow. I mean, I remember hearing about webinars and, and, and wondering if that would be something I would, I would ever do. But no, it's really, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of fun. And I, I just, you know, so appreciate, you know, you have so much knowledge too. It would be really fun. One of these days we need to get together in real time. And I'd love to, to really, like get a bunch know, of, about a lot uh, of stuff. We're so complimentary like, to all the things that I know. Yeah. There's a group that I, it would be so much fun to get us all together, but we have to be able to travel. Um, so thank you again. Tomorrow, my guest at nine o'clock in the morning is Martina Neardhart and she's going to pick up on the whole um, myofascial connection. I, I did a test zoom with her this evening and in five minutes I was so interested because she talks about the uh, intelligence of the fascial system, which is something that's rather new for me to hear. I've heard little inklings here and there, but she's, um, I'm really looking forward to our webinar tomorrow. So please do join us nine o'clock in the morning, uh, Virginia time. And also right now on the Surefoot Equine Facebook page, we're doing a giveaway for Giving Tuesday. We're giving away three half physio pads to three different equine nonprofits. So please go and put down your favorite equine nonprofit. It can be a rescue, it can be a rehab, it can be a retirement or a therapeutic riding center. We just wanna give back to everybody who's been um, so willing to come on this journey with us and we really appreciate it. So thank you so much. And once again, Rachel, thank you. It's, I, I just love um, having you as a guest. It's, it's really, really fun. We'll, we'll get together. Thank you. Okay. Bye. <laughs>